Okay, every year people ask me what they should get their swimmer for Christmas, and I always tell them the same thing. Get a pair of drag socks made by Aquavolo. It's the perfect stocking stuffer for any swimmer. Honestly, there's no simpler training tool to build power in the water than a pair of drag socks. Go to aquavolo.com and use the code BRETT, B-R-E-T-T, at checkout and save 10%. Swim Angelfish is an online certification program that strengthens your teaching curriculum to serve swimmers of all abilities. Swim Angelfish will prepare you and your instructors with the skills to teach swimmers with autism, physical disabilities, anxiety, sensory and motor conditions, and more. Learn to teach skills faster and with more comfort with Swim Angelfish. Apply for an only alpha pool product scholarship and receive up to 50% off your certification. Go to swimangelfish.com today to apply. Looking to host your first swim meet or replacing an old timing system? Run a swim meet with ease from your laptop using superior swim timing. You can use superior swim timing with your existing equipment or they can provide you with a complete timing solution including deck harnesses, buttons and starter. SST is fully compatible with Hitech and Team Unify as well as Colorado, Dactronics and Amiga touchpads. Go to superiorswimtiming.com to learn more and be sure to tell them I sent you. Destro Swim Towers. Gain strength in the water with a tower of power. Save $150 per double swim tower by using code BRETT, B-R-E-T-T, at checkout. Destromachines.com. And we are on. Dave Saylor, welcome to the podcast, mate. How are you? Brett, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Now, you were just telling me about this <laughs> renovation that is taking place behind you. What's happening here? Well, I, <laughs> I've been renovating. Uh, when I was coaching up at USC, I, I kept my house in Orange County and uh, started a renovation probably about six years ago. And I've told the kids at USC for the last six years that as soon as I finish it, they can come down and we'd, we'd have a party at my house. Now that I'm uh, retired from USC, I can have them over here and I can pay for everything and <laughs> not have to worry about compliance rules. So uh, I promised them as soon as I get this thing done, uh, then I'll invite everybody over. So I'm looking forward to I, it's I tell it's six years in the making. The, the biggest part of it has been done. I took walls. What you see right now is. Um, I'm sitting where there used to be a wall and I've opened everything up. Uh, you can see just above to my right, my right is uh, a bunch of, I put in a bunch of skylight or not skylight, but windows across the, uh, the expanse of the, of the wall uh, that makes up my living room and the, my kitchen's beautiful. It's huge. And, um, but I, 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 because I'm not, I don't have a spouse. I'm not married. There's no woman in the house getting after me about getting things done so things don't get done i only just put it in floors about six months ago i was living on mm. concrete for the last uh, five years and i finally put floors in um the wall behind me is uh, a concept wall um i wasn't sure what i want to do with that wall it used to be white now that's the color of my island and i like it um and uh, eventually I, over here i'm gonna get a like an 85 inch uh, 
flat screen TV to put on the wall, <laughs> but I'm having fun with it. But I'm, I'm discovering that uh, a lot of the stuff I'm doing, I'm doing on my own. Um, and I've discovered pretty quickly that you can put a hole in the wall and you can fix it. So I, I'm, I, I love DIY stuff. It just takes me a long time to do it. So I'm, right now I'm finishing up tiling a bathroom. Mm. I'll put in a couple tiles, then I'll look at it. Oh, it looks pretty good. I'll get to that next week. So I, oh, so you're actually doing this? I'm doing, yeah, everything right now I'm doing, I, I'm doing myself. Wow. So, once I get the, uh, I'm right now I'm putting in base molding, but uh, anybody that's done renovations on their house, uh, I've got an older home that was built in the 70s that the walls are uh, not perfectly uh, angled. Uh, the floor is not, uh, not level, so... When you put in base molding, you got angles instead of 90 degrees or 96 degrees, and you're having to cut the, the molding a certain way. And so it's, uh, but you can patch things up. And so I'm, I'm, I'm taking my time getting it done, uh, going from project to project. Kind of All right, do me, do me a favor. I, I like playing with pens too, but don't click it for me. I'm, I'm a sucker. I'm a sucker for sound these days, you know, and uh, I figured out that uh, it can get annoying after a while. I used to do that too, some of my podcast. But uh, it looks to me like your, uh, your, your, your decor is all centered around the color of your beard. I like that. Ah, I, when, I, when I was first going through the renovation, I, I talked to a designer and she asked me kind of the modern thing is go gray. I said, I do not want gray in my house. I don't want gray, <laughs> not gray. but it has slowly but surely become kind of grayish. Kind of like <laughs> and I wear dark clothing and dark, dark. One of the things I've enjoyed uh, since going into retirement is that uh, I don't wear anything but t-shirts now. Yeah. Yeah. Wear, I rarely wear a collared shirt. Yep. Yep. I'm with you completely. I went through a period at Auburn where I had an AU on my on my chest for ten years straight. I had a collar on, yeah. and as soon as I, as soon as I left, I'm like, no collars, no branding, plain as can be. That's it. That's my. That's me. I, I take great pride in buying all my stuff from Costco or Target. Yeah, yeah. I'm the same. Yeah, <laughs> that's classic. I'm glad you went through the same period that I went through. You're awesome. Um, so this sounds like there's going to be a big party at Dave's place. I'm, I want an invite to this thing. I will, I will let you know. I, it's going to be probably a series of parties. Got a, the, the USC crowd, mm -hmm. the crowd at Nova. Uh, so it'll be, it'll be a series of a series of perfect. Events. I'll get to one of them. That'll be good. Yeah, That's like kind of like the, uh, the president at Auburn used to have, you know, he, he was just a party man. So he would have a series of parties and each, each, uh, <laughs> group of people would have their own. So we would have an athletic party at the, yeah. At his house, it's always, always a fun one. But um, sounds like that's what we're doing. That's good. So, well, what's going on, man? You just uh, you just got named as the head coach of the U.S. Uh, team for World Short Course. Congrats on that. Thank you very much. It's uh, a sense of relevancy, I guess, with USA Swimming. Um, but I, I actually I, I did the 2018 World Championships in China, and uh, we had a great uh, event, great results, and and I really had a great time doing it. We had a lot of younger coaches that didn't have much experience and um uh, lindsey bentenko called me up uh maybe a month and a half ago and uh said that she wanted to have me uh, take on that role again and and again we've got some coaches that aren't don't have that as much experience as i guess i have uh so we've got a great group with ozzy cavedo and wyatt collins mm. uh, blair backman from uh, university of virginia and bruce maria uh, marchionda and so 
it's uh, I'm just really excited about it. It's young coaches that I get to, to kind of kind of guide them through this a little bit. Uh, Lindsay's done a great job putting a team together that uh, I think is going to be very competitive and uh, it's going to be fun. So it's in Abu Dhabi. It's a long trip, but I didn't. Unfortunately, my my Tokyo Frog Kings did not make the semifinals in Eindhoven. Uh, so this is kind of a makeup trip. So instead of Eindhoven, I'm going to Abu Dhabi. Oh, we'll get into that. Um... There, there was a little bit of controversy with the fact that you got named as head coach. I mean, I heard some stuff out there. Is, is that kind of just wash off your back? Like I've, I've done my time. I'm, I know what I, I know what I'm capable of. And, and you're obviously in a leadership role too, so that's an important factor to have someone experienced in there. Yeah, I don't, was I didn't, I didn't read any criticism. Was it criticism of me being named head coach? I, I guess. I mean, listen, there's criticism of everything, but um, yeah, I guess just in terms of the fact that you didn't have any swimmers on the team, is that a factor? I, I, I think that puts me in position to coach a team uh, without any bias, which I think can be right. really advantageous. And, and I think right. what, what Lindsay was looking for is somebody who's got experience and, and who can help guide some of these coaches that don't have as much experience and it's a comfortable position for them to be in. Uh, I give my assistant coaches a lot of, um, of uh, autonomy to, to really be their partners in this. It, it's not uh, superior over inferior. So I, I don't look at it that way. Um, generally speaking, I always thought it was uh, she invites me to take, do this job because I'm available and I'll say yes. True. That's but true. A lot of coaches just aren't available. And but that's uh, true. So I think, you know, I, I, it doesn't matter. I don't bother. I, I criticism. I've been criticized my entire career and people used to criticize me and say I was off the rock, but, what I do and how I do things. And it's like, you know, they, they, I, it's just, I don't care. It's like, I've been successful. I'm proud of my career and yep. uh, I'd rather have my career than a lot of other people's careers. So if I'm criticized for that, that's, that's, I, I can deal with that. What about matter. this? Do you, do you think this is something USA swimming needs going forward? Like a head coach, like Australia has a head coach. Do, does USA swimming need one? Um, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I had proposed to USA Swimming years ago that I, I thought in, in terms of quadrennium, I think what would be valuable is to have an appointment of our head Olympic coaches uh, actually two years out that they would go to the world championships uh, three years out as assistants or advisory. Then the world championships, they would be head coaches for that, that competition. And then they, they would go into the head coaching position with the, the Olympic Olympic games and so there's kind of this I've always thought that would be a valuable way to do things um, they didn't take my advice it, it kind of worked that way a lot of times where we would see our uh, head uh, Olympic coach would be the head coaches for world championships the year before um, and that was just it just kind of happened that way um, mm -hmm. that's why when I was named in 2015 as the head coach for the women's team uh, for world championships. And I was also the head coach in 2013 for the women's team. I thought I might get the spot for being the head coach for the women's Olympic team, but it didn't happen. So, um, but uh, I, I think maybe having the head coach of the Olympic team be the head coach in, in 2000 or, or in uh, the year preceding for world championships and the Olympics, that would be great. I'm gonna turn yeah, I was going to say, I don't know which way the uh, sun's headed. Is, is it going to take over your face there or are you going to have to move the no, other I'm way i'm gonna close i'm gonna close the uh, uh the windows here a oh bit. look at that did you install these windows uh i have them installed i did not install them and then i had uh blinders that's cool, in. That's cool. i like that look at that oh there we go coming yeah, back we, to 
There we go. Beautiful. I love it. I love it. Very nice. Um, I, I had a I had a question in relation to that, but then I lost it. I, that happens, you know, when I talk and I don't prepare, it's just kind of something comes in, then it disappears again. But well, um, we have a lot to talk about. And you limited me to an hour, so if you need more time, go ahead. We don't. Yeah, an hour is just what I'd like. But um, if we can have more, that's awesome. Listen, um, take me back to the beginning, then. So where did this thing start for you? I, I don't know much about Dave Salo's career other than what I just see on, uh, you know, you, you Google it and up at pops but like tell me about how this um swimming thing started for you well it actually started when i was back in high school to be honest with you i i was a swimmer i was okay swimmer i wasn't great but in my the back of my mind i always, always wanted to be a coach and i thought about this re reflectively the other day that uh when i met with my kids for, on the we, we had a meeting the other day about why are we doing this why are, why are you guys swimming and um I look back when I was in high school, I would doodle, I would do doodles of Olympic rings on my binder or my, my peachy folder or whatever it was. And, mm -hmm. and I always envisioned myself becoming an Olympic swimming coach. And I didn't know what that really meant. I wasn't that accomplished a swimmer. I swam junior nationals. That was about it. Um, my father uh, had been a, he was a high school teacher and he was a very, he was accomplished athlete in his own right as a, a hockey player out of uh, Minnesota uh, he was a high school teacher uh, uh, coach, and he coached football, basketball, those kinds of things. Uh, I got involved in swimming as a, as a, a tag along to my older brother when I was about eight or nine, I guess. And I, I, I guess I had a, I always wanted to be a coach. And so I kind of think that there's a little DNA associated with it, that my father was a coach, um, followed around him a little bit when he was a high school football coach. And in my young, young age. Um, I actually applied for my first head coaching job uh, for out of high school. And mm. I, was, I was like, how bold are you to apply for a job uh, as a, as a basically just out of high school, first year college kid and, and had no, it was silly, but, um, but that's, uh, and I was fortunate when I, I moved to Long Beach state to uh, go to school. And I needed a job because uh, my parents didn't have money for me to go to school and uh, didn't expect them to pay my way through school. And, and I needed a job. And I happened to found, find a job uh, with a team called Downey Dolphins. Mm. And that's where it all started. I was 19 years old. I was head coach by the time I was 20. And uh, that's where it kind of all, all started. So I knew I wanted to coach. I didn't know what it meant to be an Olympic coach. I found that out got a chance, a brief chance to coach uh, under Peter Dalen at USC uh, from about uh, 1984 until uh, I took the job at Irvine in 1990. Um, thought I found my dream job at, as a club coach and felt very content to be there. Never never really focused on becoming a college coach until USC, USC called me in 2006. And actually, Mark Schubert called me and told me he was recommending me to USC, which, which I was surprised by because Mark and I never had a great relationship prior to that. Um, <laughs> but he recommended me, which, which complimented me that, that people of his status saw uh, my successes and saw that I was capable and would recommend me for probably my dream college job. So I've been really fortunate to live out two dreams. And now I'm back at Irvine as the general manager and and uh, I'm, I've got a small group that I coach we call, call Pro Nova. Uh, none of them are really pro, but we call them Pro Nova. 
Um, and then I'm the, I'm kind of a super sub. So whenever somebody has to miss a practice, I take the practice. And currently I'm, I'm subbing in for one of my coaches, Nate uh, Wilcox, who just had his first baby. And so I, I go down there and take care of the senior group. And, uh, and they, they still like my practices so far. They keep asking me to take more of the practices. <laughs> um, but I'll, 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 I'll break them of that soon, I'm sure. Well, there's, that's kind of the, the life history real quick, but there's a lot, a lot to unpack there, and we might go through some of that individually. But in, in terms of that, it seems like a pretty normal kind of progression to, to where an elite coach ends up. But something you did that's different than most is in between somewhere there, maybe at the beginning, you um, take an academic route as well. So you, you go into academics pretty heavily and end up getting a doctorate in, was it exercise physiology? Uh, I think on my, my certificate says exercise science, yeah. Okay. So, so how did that end up? If you're on the deck all this time, how are you in academics so deeply? Well, I think if you go back um, years ago, I, I'm, I just turned 63. So just think back 40, 50 years ago that most coaches – of uh, successful club coaches or just club coaches in general were uh, high school teachers hmm. and they, they were part-time coaches. And um, I didn't want to be a teacher. I didn't want to be a high school teacher. That, therefore, I, that just that wasn't enticing. I just I didn't want to do that. So I looked at academics as my route beyond being a, a teacher. And, um, and uh, so I just kept pursuing my, education. I, I, yeah, I, I wanted to separate myself out from the average. Uh, most coaches uh, have a bachelor's degree. I felt if I had a master's degree that that would separate me out. I had a really good friend of mine that was going to uh, pursue a PhD at, at USC. And, and I, if you go back as, as, as the backstory is when I was going to high school, I happened to hang out with uh, the nerd types. And uh, every every year when we decide what class we're going to take, the, the, my friends were taking algebra and trigonometry and chemistry and physics and all that stuff. And I would go, oh, I'll take those classes, too. So that was kind of my general direction in academics that, that drove me. It wasn't my parents. It was my my friends. And so when I had this friend decide she was going to go work on her Ph.D., I, I thought, well, that would separate separate me out from the norm or the average in coaching as well. And, and so I decided I would pursue a PhD at USC and uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. It was a lot of work, uh, but I think swimming taught me how to deal with work. Um, I, it was a hard science degree for me. I was in the laboratory 10, 12 hours a day and, and, and enjoyed it. At the same time, I was afforded the opportunity to coach with Peter Dalen, which uh, was a great education and he was a he was a great friend of mine uh, all the way through until he passed away. Yeah, that's interesting to to have a mentor like him. I don't know him very well. I just know of him and and, and his um, his excellence. Uh, a, a lot like kind of the influence that I had with with a Richard Quick, let's say, who, who came in had a great influence mm -hmm. on me for a period of about eighteen months. But w what did you learn from from Peter that has held with you this long? Well, I think what's really interesting about me and my relationship with Peter is, is Peter and I would not, you wouldn't put us in the, in the room and, and 
think of us exactly the same in terms of our coaching philosophy or training mm-hmm. philosophy. Very, very different. Mm-hmm. Uh, Peter was told by his team in 1984, 85, that they wanted – Peter loved big teams. So he had a very, very large team, and it spanned all the way from – you know, some of the greats of our sport to just guys were walk on, not very good. And, and so in response to that, um, his wife, Ingrid, uh, knew me on the club level and said, Dave's on campus. He's going to school. Why don't you see if he can help out? So he asked me if I would be willing to be an assistant and graduate, graduate assistant coach. And it was like, yeah, it'd be a great opportunity. And, but we didn't, we wouldn't agree on how to train somebody. Mm. But that's, I was I was his assistant. It didn't matter. I was his assistant. Peter wrote all the workouts. Uh, he would tell me what, where where to stand and, and uh, who I'd be not responsible for, but just kind of mm-hmm. telling them what the what the workout was. And <clears throat> and he had great respect for me. And, and there was one time uh, I was I was I was in the office, and he comes to the office and shuts the door, and he goes, "I'm I'm con- coming under a lot of criticism for hiring you as as an assistant coach because of your philosophy." And uh, but that doesn't matter. I'm, I want you on my staff, and, and the guys like you, and and that's what I want. So just I'm telling you this because you it may uh, prevent you from moving on in our sport because your your ideas, your theories are very different. But he was he, he knew I was there to be his assistant and 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 that's what that's what I was I was I was assisting his program I wasn't creating my program so um, it was a great relationship he respected me he always did he always thought I, he always encouraged me to become a, um, a university professor um, <laughs> but uh, I, I kept kept going the lines of being a swimming coach so uh, and then I swam for John Urbanchek at Long Beach State um, mm. and that was a John was just starting a job in, in, in 1978, and I introduced him to my roommate who was going to swim, and John had a very small team, and he, he just kind of told me he would see me on the coming Monday as we started swimming, and I spent the weekend thinking about it and thought I'd, I might as well do it, and so I learned from John, but John and I don't even agree in terms of um, – our philosophies on coaching, but, but I, I, I took from John, I took from uh, uh, Peter and I took, took from my experience, as you remember, when you would go make uh, home visits to recruits that you would be visiting, you'd visit the mm-hmm. club team. I always, I watched how coaches interact and, and how mm-hmm. they interact with their team. And it didn't matter what you were selling. You, you got to, how can you re- interact with your, the athletes that you're working with to, to advance your philosophy, uh, a philosophy that you believe in wholeheartedly. So um, I think that's what I learned from Peter. Uh, I just, he had a great, had a great rapport with these guys who were in their 18 to 20 year age range. And here he is seventies in those mid seventies when I came to work with him and he had still had this great rapport with the guys. And and I, I really loved that. I, I loved his interaction with the, uh, alums. And that's when I went to USC, I wanted to rebuild that alum f- formation of support. And um, so I was always intrigued by that versus the, the X's and O's for training. And um, that's what I think I took away from my relationship with Peter. You, you said the word philosophy a number of times, and I'm really interested in it because, you, you know, you mentioned Peter Dalen, who had a certain philosophy, John Abanchek, and then yourself. And then I look at the fact that you have a doctorate degree in exercise science. So obviously 
you're studying and you're developing your own philosophy. What What is this philosophy that you're developing that is different from theirs? Well, I think most coaches, their philosophies are, are experiential philosophies, whatever they experience, that's how they kind of adapt to what they do in coaching. Mine is really from academics. And uh, I happen to have a professor when I was going to school at Long Beach State early on in exercise physiology who, who just kind of opened my eyes and my mind to uh, the, the realities of physiology. And, and uh, he taught me the effect of sprint training basically on on performance and uh so that was my his name is joseph Mastropalo, and just just i i just the concepts i could never never believe would have would affect performance he taught me and that's what start that was the seed that started my mindset of, of exploring uh performance through physiology and and understanding the physiology. So that's where it started. And then uh, I just, it grew from that point. So um, I just, what year was this? Uh, what's, what's that? What year was that? I started studying under Master Paulo from about uh, 78 to about through my master's degree in 83, I think it was. I mean, like sprints, the word sprint didn't come about until, I mean, maybe maybe you were talking about it, but people didn't catch on to it until the late 90s. So where's this massive gap between the well, sprint that you're talking about? The gap, the, it actually started in the 80s. I remember I was coaching uh, okay. through my master's degree. I was, I, was, I, was, I was coaching the small club team. Uh, when I started coaching, I was a traditional coach and, and it was a small team, not very experienced, very novice oriented. I come in there as a brass 19 year old and take over within three, six months or so. And, and I was trying to pound out 9,000 yards of practice with these mm. kids who are like, what are you doing to us? And I hated it. To be honest mm -hmm. with you, I was, I was miserable because I couldn't get them to buy in and, mm -hmm. and, but I was so hell bent on doing it. What I thought was what you needed to do, because that's how I was, I was how I was coached. Right. And um, so um, the, as I, as I was learning through uh, Dr. Master Paulo, I started to discover just different ways to train my athletes that became really interesting and creative. And, and I've found myself, further and further intrigued because I went from a traditional coach to what I am now. And I was having successes across the board, not with, not with great athletes, but just your mediocre average day athletes. And my first successes on the national level, if you will, came from a, a 12 year old boy who was breaking five minutes in the 500 freestyle. And we used the 20 yard pool as much as we did the 25 yard pool. We didn't do anything over, hundred yards uh, per, mm -hmm. per repetition and all race pace. And so long before there was USRPT, I was exploring mm -hmm. this more race pace type work versus uh, just volumetric type work. Um, right. That boy went on to qualify for junior nationals in the mile and the thousand. And we never touched a thousand straight in practice except for once in the time that I coached him. And I stopped him halfway through because he wasn't going fast enough. So you're out there then. I mean, at this point in time, you're, you're an outlier for sure, even even amongst uh, your own groupings of coaches. Um, but, but surely at the outside looking in, this guy's a, a rogue, you know, because no one's doing at that stage any of that. That, that didn't exist. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, it, it's when I was doing this, I ended up in a, a uh, there was a small group of coaches that uh, we got together kind of a, a once every month or two. And we do a kind of a, uh, it was kind of a book club, if you will. And we would get together and we, we talk about swimming and what we're doing and training. And, and one of the guys in the group, I can't think of his name escapes me at this point in time. His name is Chris, but he was a co-editor of Swimming World magazine. And he encouraged me to write a column for Swimming World. Hmm. Uh, it was called the Physiology Corner. And so I was exploring concepts through this column. And uh, there came, an article came out that I was really reviewing a lot of different articles and concepts of training that uh, were contrary to the current uh, vogue of training at that point in time, back in the mid to late 80s and or mid 80s, I guess. And uh, I wrote an article that uh, received such criticism from coaches and mm. And they would publish these these letters from coaches that would send in. And, and uh, one of the letters came out from a coach um, who just said, who is this coach Salo? He doesn't know what he's talking about. Who has he ever coached? And mm. This is ridiculous. I'm not changing the way I coach my athletes uh, because this this upshots telling us that that's what the that's what the research shows in non-specific uh, 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 studies. Um and I, I, I used to keep this 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 letter to the editor uh, framed, and I, I put it prominently on my desk because he was a very famous coach, had a very very famous swimmer, who was a really successful distance swimmer, and I would I would use that as motivation to say, well, okay, I, you're right, I've never coached anybody, um, but these are the concepts I believe in, and, and when I get the chance to coach that level of an athlete, that's what I'm going to employ and see what happens with it. So it, it all kind of started gradually. I went from a very traditional coach to uh, building in more of a, a race pace type based philosophy. And that's what uh, is kind of I maintain all, all the way through the last, except for the first five years I was coaching, uh, first four years, I guess. Uh, so and I've been coaching for about 43 years, I guess. So most of the last 40 years has been that way. What year did you write the Sprint Sailor book? Uh, I think that came out around originally probably 83 84 i, I want to say oh really that early I, I was thinking early 90s so yeah. 10 years before that no in fact what 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 drove that is i i wrote one of these physiology articles in swimming world magazine and at the end of it <laughs> i i said at the end of the article i said i i've got a book coming out if anybody's interested send me a ten dollar check or something and um, within two months, I had a, I had about 200 requests for this book that I had not written. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, oh, shoot, I got to write a book now. So I had a friend of mine who was kind of uh, in the self-publishing business. Uh, he agreed to put it together for me. I had to do the writing of it. And we got it out. And it's um, that's how that all, all happened. I, I was under the gun get something done. <laughs> That's the way to do it, I guess. So, so well, the the '80s then. So you've got this book that's a piece of history now. So uh, I want to I want to compare then to now in a second. But let's talk about then. What, what were the concepts you were coming up with then that you truly believed in that you wanted to put on paper that you've now sold, you know, thousands of copies of? What yeah. was it? Uh, well, I, I, I again the the the, the 
premise of the book was my my understanding background of physiology and then i, I the second phase of the book is really written workouts that i had actually used with athletes i was working with um the athletes at the time were a group of swimmers who were swimming with me from usc um during the summer but uh, they decided to train with me uh, versus a traditional program and i had a 25 yard pool and we swam um but um i i the the the, I mean, it, it's, it was really rudimentary to be basic. It was just really rudimentary, but it was the premise of, of keeping the volume down. That wasn't the most focused uh, focus of it. It was uh, um, uh, race pace. It was uh, just, it was very different from the normal concept. And I had a friend of mine um, actually I think we we're trying to limit our work, my workouts, to no more than 4,000 yards per practice. We were doing once a day. Right. And a friend of mine said, well, why 4,000? Why not less? <laughs> wow, you're really challenging me. So I had challenges from the outside, from physiology type people that are like, well, why that much? Why not less than that? Uh, and so it said, well, yeah, maybe we need to try to explore something less than that. Um, but it, during that time, it, 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 the volume wasn't the critical factor. It was really race pace. It was um, the efficiency of mechanics. And, and those were the, the kind of the uh, context of my workouts. And, and it's continued through the day. I think what's different, people ask me, how, if it, would I write the book differently? And the difference between now and back then is the detail that I've come up with now that mm. There's a lot more detail. I, I've explored different ways to do things, and I continue to evolve those things. Not the different philosophy, but try, how can you get somebody to work faster, and how can you get people to be more efficient, effective mechanically? And so I'm constantly evolving that part of this this uh, dialogue with my athletes on how to be faster. And so I, I keep coming up with some really interesting uh, concepts in the training. That's 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 driven towards that but it's it's all it's still race pace a uh, lot of work on mechanics and efficiency um still not really focused on how far we go that's not very very important um and uh just kind of challenging my athletes to to see if they can't work faster uh, that, that's interesting i mean uh, for something that you wrote 40 years ago holds true to this day that's that's pretty rare in in terms of um where swimming has gone because swimming has has changed greatly and and if you think about the times that we're, we're swimming you know 30 years ago compared to now it's completely it's a whole new universe so yeah. to think that the training is very similar is interesting and but i've had um i've had similar thoughts myself i i don't come from a exercise physiology background i come from a psychology background so i'm, right. I'm heavy i'm heavy on that but um my my intellect on the physiology has come through just experience, I guess, and working with great coaches and, and, and learning from great athletes uh, and then kind of applying some of the things that I believed in, in that sense. So I could not write a book for sure, but I, I know, I know, feel like I know sprinting, but one of the things that I would always ask myself, Dave, is that, you know, all right, we're here uh, as, as a group of people, a small group of people, you know, there, there are, there are five, six people in the world that can swim this time. How do we get those five, six people to, to jump ahead so that the, the 30 behind them can, can move forward as well? So it's like always trying to shift that, that line 
Um, so like right now, for instance, the best 50 freestylers in the world are swimming 21 flat, 21 low. You know, like in, in, in 10 years from now, um, Richard Quick's philosophy that I learned from him is always think 10 years ahead of yourself. You know, like put yourself 10 years ahead. So I'm thinking 10 years from now, there's going to be five or six people swim 20.5. So if, yeah. if, if I want to put myself in that position now, how do I get there? And, and so I've experimented with um you know the the philosophy of how do you how do you build speed how do you gain speed um and, and so is there anything in there where you've felt to yourself like i uh, you you pushed that in the wrong direction like have you ever gone in the wrong way and you thought no that that's that's not the way i want to go i got to head back this way you know what i'm saying yeah i no i think that's uh, i think as as coaches we evaluate uh, performance all the time and we're more likely to look the, the failures uh, versus the successes and um, that's the thing that kind of keeps us up at night is that um, why why did we not go faster here in this particular circumstance and right and, uh, so that's what keeps us up at night to to discover that that performance i think the interesting thing that you bring up about psychology and i think that's why my program works fairly effectively is that the the psychology the other philosophy i have with regards to, to our sport in general is is if you can keep your athletes happy uh engaged having fun with this process that um that they're going to be swimming better they're going to train better and, and that's what you're after so the psychology is 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 enhanced by the way I train my athletes versus just the, the stubborn old way of doing things. I, when I was a kid swimming, we'd, we'd do common things like 175s on a minute. That doesn't sound very challenging for today's athlete, but back in the, in the seventies, that was tough. And we would do sets like that. And that did, it's like, you, 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 but I'm only racing a hundred. Why am I going to a hundred of these? <laughs> and, uh, so, um, in answer to your question, where do we go 10 years from now? I, th I, I think the best example that I can speak to with regards to that is, is if you go back to the era prior uh, when we had the, the whole suit technology take over uh, through 2009 and, um, and, and everybody was swimming fast and everybody said it was about the suits. And the suit mm. made people so much faster. I said, stop that. It wasn't mm -hmm. the suit. It's because we trained athletes to swim a certain level when they put a suit on. So the mm. expectations changed dramatically. And so we were better coaches without knowing it. I saw with when I worked with Peter, every year the NC2A standards would change every year. And it wasn't like it is now where they just take 130 people in an, or, or in the event or whatever it is. Um, it was this time standard. You hit the time standard, you go to the meet. Didn't matter how many kids made it if you made the time. And every year, the time standards would get faster. And every year, we would coach to the new time standard. And every year, kids would make the time standard. So I think that's the, it's, it's the way we, we, we if you rec reckon back when, when Janet Evans was so much better than anybody else, nobody was even touching her. And as soon as somebody got her, then all of a sudden everybody else gets there. Mm -hmm. uh, I had that experience with Rebecca Sony. Rebecca mm -hmm. Sony breaks 220 in the 200-meter breaststroke in 2012. And, um, and, and it, was, it was obviously one of those big, huge standards for a female breaststroker to make. In 2013, before World Championships, she, she, she had gone into retirement. 
And in 2013, just before World Championship, she came and visited me and she was contemplating coming out of retirement. And um, World Championships came up and I think two people were under her 220 point. And she came back and said, forget it. I, I thought my, my time would last a while. <laughs> and it's once that door was open, the, the people come through the door. Mm. And so yeah. I think we're, we're better coaches than we sometimes give ourselves credit for because we, we coach to a stand, we coach to whatever that, that thing is that's concrete in, in time. And we don't really give ourselves much credit for that. We just, we just think it's something magical, but you coach to the time, you coach to the expectation. You said a couple of things in there that I, that I really wanted to, to chat about. And I love it. You know, I, looking back on my career, I felt like my best coaching was in that 2008, 2009, 2010 period where I had a lot of guys swimming really fast. And a lot of people say, well, that's because your guys had the suit on. And in my mind, it was never that. I was I, I always felt like I did my best coaching then. I really did my best coaching. There was some amazing stuff that I was producing. I was very creative. I was, I was doing things exactly the way I wanted to do them. And at the time, I was an assistant coach. So it was very easy for me just to focus on what I was doing with that particular group. And then once I became a head coach, I felt I felt this push in in a way that it pulled me away from just being super creative with with one particular type of group, and, and I went in a different direction. I just didn't feel like I did my best coaching then. But to, to hear you say that there was just good coaching going on, I honestly felt like that at that point in time too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, one of the the other things you brought up was uh, a topic of that I wanted to talk with you was Rebecca Sony. Um, I've heard that she wasn't the best trainer. Uh, but but obviously one of the greatest races in history uh, is that true and 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 how do you how do you justify that like how do we explain that where someone's not the best trainer and yet when they go out and race they can perform like nobody's ever seen well i would i would call her she was one of my best trainers but it was relative to rebecca sony rebecca worked hard was very diligent did everything we would ask her to do but if you if you were to watch her from the, the stands and watch her, you wouldn't go, oh, that's Rebecca Sony. Look, right. she, she wasn't that kind of a trainer. She trained really hard for her. Right. And it was, and I knew that. And then I always, she would get, she would get mad at me sometimes. My habit is that I, as soon as, a, as soon as the first couple of people finish a set, I'm already talking about the next set because I'll explain it like 10 times because I need to explain my sets 10 times. And she would be trailing in as I'm already announcing like the second time uh, what the set is and she get mad at me that I haven't even finished this yet. You're telling the next set. It's like, don't worry, I'm going to get to you. It's just, it's, but she was, uh, she really trained hard, but it was relative to her. And, and, and then when she raced, she was one of those people. We've all had these people. Rebecca was this kind of a person, Aaron Pierce, all this kind of person that mm. you never, expected anything less from them when they raced. You knew they were always going to be on their best game every time they raced. It didn't matter the competition, didn't mm. matter what the circumstance were. And she was such a great racer in her element. Her element was the the 200 breaststroke, the 100 breaststroke. Um, and, um, and, and so I always knew that she would give it her best. Haley Anderson was a hardworking swimmer, but God, when she would race, just tenacity and just didn't matter who she was racing against, she would just she would give it her all. 
and she was generally pretty strong in her in her workouts. But Rebecca, being a breaststroker, they're they're kind of a they're they're a nuance of themselves that 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 they're very different. The stroke is slower than everything else. Uh, she would do a lot of IM type work as well. Um, but they're always going to be behind everybody else because they're if they're doing a breaststroke type set within the, where everybody else is doing freestyle or backstroke, they're always going to look different from everybody else. So he's a great workout swimmer uh, relative to her. And I think that's what coaches have to always keep in mind is, is, our, is everybody meeting the expectation around themselves and not some other standard that you might have. And uh, one of my favorite uh, opportunities to coach anybody is Carson Visering, um, who is, who is just, he was just a character, but he was, he had so much talent, so much skill set. Um, but he was, he was like in the clouds all the time and you, you'd have to friend, you, you kind of bark at him in a, in a friendly tenor, you know, wake up, Carson, focus, <laughs> but I always recognized he was, he was so, he was when the, when it time, came time to, to race, he was always really solid. He was always giving his best. And those are some of the, the, e the easiest athletes to coach, the ones that you can count on when they get up and race. And there's, it's no question about Rebecca's effort. So um, it's a misnomer to think that she wasn't a great trainer. I think she was, for relative to Rebecca, she was a really good trainer, strong trainer. Well, I mean, yes, there's no doubt about that. But even when you say relative to Rebecca, it means there was someone else beating her. So that if there's people beating her, then those people should be better at, at racing, you would think. But but Rebecca comes out and just dominates people. And, then, and that's where the psychology comes into it too, I guess. And the character of the of the athlete like you said like an aaron pierce will just refuse to lose this is like yeah. he just knew that if i'm head to head with someone i'm getting my hand on the wall first he's he said that to me you know so it's like yeah. it's just that innate um you know dog in people too like yeah. i'm i'm yeah. winning this race no matter if the sun's out no matter if it's hot you know it doesn't matter the conditions Aaron Pierce or Rebecca Sony are coming to race and they're going to probably win. So, yeah, yeah, that's and, and, and with Rebecca, my relationship with Rebecca kind of evolved that first year. She was, she, if there had been, if there had been a transfer portal uh, when I took over USC in 2006, seven, she, she might've left. Um, and, and it's reflective of the fact that, that I was her third coach in a year. She was a freshman. She was just finishing her freshman year when I got there. So she had Mark Shu before me. And before that, she had her club coach at Scarlet, mm. uh, a speedling, a coach speedling. And um, so I was her third coach and went from coach speedling and coach Schubert, who were very distance oriented, 400 mm. IM work and, and all this workload to, to me. And it's like, <laughs> it's like, it's just like this cataclysmic change for her. Mm. In her comfort level and that first year was very very trying and she wasn't convinced she wasn't convinced even after she won nc toys that year her sophomore year with me she won nc toys in the 200 uh, she still wasn't quite convinced and then she was invited fortunately she was invited to go to a, a meet down in australia um right after nc toys and she swam great she was second in the 200 breaststroke long course had done any long course training and she came back from that experience going, well, maybe maybe what we're doing is adequate. Maybe it's going to be okay. So that was kind of my relationship. And from that point on, it's, it's been a great relationship. She swam with me for, I think, eight or nine years and had some great performance all the way through and, and um, 
tremendous respect for Rebecca. She was, she was awesome to work with. And what she learned with me, which I, I take great pride in is, and she'll tell kids when I'd have her at the camp is that uh, they'd ask about like tapering time. And she goes, you don't worry about that stuff. You just, you, you know, you got it. So what, whether taper was good or taper was bad, or wasn't perfect. Mm -hmm. You're always going to get up and race fast because that's what you're supposed to do. And it, right. it really was one of those things when an athlete says that in your presence, you're like, Ah, oh, somebody gets it. It's, it's mm, she gets it's it. It's not yeah. about the magic of a of a mm. taper. Yeah, she gets it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I learned that late in my career of like, stop putting it down to the final couple of weeks, Brett. Like, you're gonna swim fast no matter what. Like, you know. And there was one particular time where I was deathly sick at a at an Australian trials meet, and and for us, like the US, if you don't make the team. You got to sit out a whole year until you can make the Australian team the next the next year. I remember warming up, and I was so sick. I was like, I had this terrible cough, and and I couldn't even put my face in the water to warm up. And I just I just got out of the pool, and I and I said to myself like, it doesn't matter. Like nobody cares. No one gives a shit. Like it's time to race. And do you want to sit out a whole year and and hope that you come back and you're healthy next year, or you could get sick again? And I just put that in, in into my game plan of like get it done, and that's kind of the same mentality that you're talking about with with those champions. But I, I learned it very very late. Um, look, there's no doubt in my mind and anybody else's that you're one of the greatest coaches in history. When you look at your resume in terms of the the, the people that have come through your program, but if I was to give you an individual award for the greatest ever, it would certainly be. Uh, as a, as a breaststroke coach. I mean, there's no, no one even close to you in, in terms of who's the greatest ever in breaststroke coaching. So why that particular stroke and teach me about it? Because I'm the, if there's an, if you won the award for the greatest ever, I'm, I win the award for the worst ever. So it's like, <laughs> teach me, teach me breaststroke, but why that one in particular? Well, first I'm flattered. You would think I was one of the greatest coaches ever. I, I've been a very successful coach and I'm really proud of that, but I, I I've got my own failings, but I appreciate that. Oh, listen, there's no doubt. Look at your resume. Come on. There's no Thanks. one. There's, there's not many people with your resume at all. But um, in terms of breaststroke, it's a, it's a whole other level. Well, I, I tell everybody, the, the reason I was, I've was i been successful with breaststroke is because I was a breaststroke swimmer. Mm. And and so, I, I it's look, I can still remember what it felt like when I made my first junior nationals, um, probably my last junior nationals, too is a uh, long course Santa Clara international champion uh, meet. And um, I'm doing the turn of breaststroke. I entered the meet illegally because I didn't have the qualifying time. Uh, my coach asked me when I made this time is looking at the psych sheet. And so when did you do this time? I said, well, I've never done it. He says, well, you better make this time because if you don't do it, you're going to be fined a hundred dollars. And back in 77, 76, uh, that's a hundred dollars meant a lot. Uh, so, and I, like you just said, I, I was a little under the weather. I, I caught a cold probably because I was stressed out about it. Mm. And uh, I remember coming off that last turn and coming off the underwater pull down and, and poking my head up above the water and looking 50 meters down the way and going, oh my God, I'm going to be fined a hundred dollars. <laughs> and uh, I in fact touched the wall, made my first junior nationals and, and I uh, didn't have to pay a fine, but uh, <laughs> it, was, it was, it was, that was, that was my, I, I knew, I know breaststroke because I swam breaststroke. And I, right. I still to this day remember what that feels like. And even mm. though stroke has changed uh, to the extent that it has over the last 30, 40 years, um, I still have that sense of what that is, what, what it's like. So it, it's given me a, 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 an understanding and appreciation for the stroke. I, I tell breaststrokers, uh, 
you as coaches, you you've all had breaststrokers come in and to practice, and and they're they're complaining that the stroke doesn't feel right, doesn't feel good. It's like I don't know what happened. It felt great yesterday, and I remember what that's like because you come in and all of a sudden your stroke doesn't feel right. It feels awkward, and and because I experienced that, I know how to get the kids back into the stroke that they that that's right for them because it's a timing issue. And uh, I've I've learned a lot from just watching swimmers. I I, I have my specific uh, designs on what it should look like. And there's key components to the breaststroke that I think are key to successful breaststroke swimming. But at the same time, I recognize that if you watch the finals of the Olympics, eight swimmers, you'll have eight different looks mm -hmm. to what the stroke looks like. Mm -hmm. And you you've got to you've got to you as a coach. I think you you. You look at the key components. I look for um, what does the body look like at the completion of, of an extension. And I want to see what that looks like. And it's a line. It should be a line from the fingertips all the way through the head down to the feet. Um, and there's things I look for in terms of recovery. Uh, I, I, I don't believe in recovering over the surface of the water. And I believe that you recover and you turn the hands and the elbows into the extension. So there, there's there's key things that I look for the elbow position on the in sweep, and so there's 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 those key positions, and then I look at the 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 connection between the upper body and the and the hips and shoulder or the hips and the, the legs, and so I understand how those things all work together. So it allows me to kind of refine the training uh, for breaststrokers that's really specific to them, uh, but I but I share that what that feels like, and it, it mm. helps. Uh, and the other strokes, I think, are, are pretty simple compared to breaststroke. Uh, but having that, that, that feeling, what it was based on being an athlete in that particular event, uh, helps me a lot with breaststroke. And then, again, like I said, recognizing that the way um, Jess, uh, uh, Jessica Hardy, uh, Amanda Beard, uh, uh, Stacyana Stitz, Rebecca Sony, they're all so different. Mm -hmm. One of my first work, one of my workouts with Rebecca Sony. We're going a long course workout. This is early on in my first year with her. And I, I do a lot of drill type work at race pace. And um, she stops about 15 meters from the wall and she's just in tears and crying. And she, she looks at me and she's our best swimmer on the team. And she looks at me and she goes, I hate your drills. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, my best swimmer is going to quit and leave. And I pulled her aside and I said, Rebecca, I understand your stroke, and I'm not going to have you swim like Amanda or Jessica or Stacyana. I'm going to swim you your stroke, and I understand your stroke, and I'll get better at understanding your stroke. Um, and there's some key things to your stroke that I think we, we can enhance versus take away from. So I'm not going to change your stroke because she knew her stroke was different. Um, and I said, look, I know breaststroke. And you're just going to have to trust me. And if you can right. trust me, then you're going to be, you'll, you'll be okay. And that, that kind of calmed her down for a while and it got us through that first year. So you've got to understand the, the nuance of the stroke that, that it's, it can be so different. You can have, and it's so dependent upon uh, flexibility of shoulders, the hips, the ankles, the knees, and, and what you, what you're able to do with those athletes different, but there are some key components that I always look for with each athlete, but I also take into account the, the differences that they have. One of my, one of my uh, proudest moments, I think, is was a short course world championship several years back um, when I had three of my breaststrokes go first, second, third, and the 50-meter breaststroke. And that's, that's 
that happened to be one was was Yulia Efimova from Russia, and then uh, Jessica Hardy and, and, and Rebecca Sony. And it was kind of cool because every one of them is very different. Um, just, just just have those different stroke me mechanics be that successful was, was uh, kind of a proud moment. Yeah. Uh, interesting. A lot of stuff to unpack there too, in terms of uh, the key components. I want to touch on those because I think that's interesting. But the thing that you said in terms of the feel, I feel the same way about freestyle. I just, I just can feel whenever somebody's in the water and they tell me something or I see something, I can feel what they're feeling and I can relate it really easy. So freestyle comes very, very natural to me. I do think it's a simpler stroke, but breaststroke seems so complex to me, but there are obviously um, key components to it. So, just touch on some other key components. You, talk, you talked about the line. The line is obviously necessary to get back into it uh, as fast as possible, I would guess. Yeah. Talk to me about the key components. Well, again, like I said, I, I kind of my starting point is looking where the body looks like at the end of a complete stroke cycle. I'm looking, mm -hmm. I want everything lined up. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one of the key components I look for. I look for the recovery that, the, the, again, as I said earlier, it's, it's I'm looking for uh, just the extension, the rotation of the elbows. And you see a lot of people who recover over the water. Elbows are pointed downward. They tend to go down. They create drag. So I'm looking at, are you creating drag? If you're creating drag, you got you to eliminate that. And if you're going downward on that stroke, you create drag between the fingertips and shoulders. So mm. I look for that. I look at the head position, how it relates to your shoulders, and that it's, it's, it's kind of in line with your back. It's not forced one way or the other, but it's really kind of in line with the back and your shoulders are driving the, the movement forward, not the head. You get, you get a lot of kids doing the head thing and that's that I don't like. I don't like hands coming out of the water, even though I've had some kids who are kind of like that. I try to tone that down. Um, I look at the kick a lot, too, and I look at the relationship between the, the knees and the heels. And at that kick has been from when I was a kid. If, you're much younger than I am, but the, the kick was up, out, and together. Mm -hmm. and now it's it's really kind of a straighter path. And and uh, interestingly, I, I, when when um, Rebecca's kick, you look at her kick or you look at her pole, and you think, well, those those things don't. She's just like a half skull, and she's got a really brief abbreviated kick. How does she go fast? And somebody I met at a clinic one time. Uh, characterize Rebecca as the hunting, hummingbird of, of breaststroke swimming because it doesn't make any sense. Um, but uh, but that's where you, you look at the elbow position. Whether the elbow if the elbows are down, she's probably not going to be as good. She's got her heels outside the the knees, so even though it's abbreviated, it's it's still got that kind of positioning. Um, one of the things I thought was is really interesting in the years. As you recall, when you're doing camps and stuff like that, you videotape these age group kids who aren't very good. You, if you look at in breaststroke in particular, you look at those levels of swimmers you have some videotapes of from the very beginner to a junior national kid, a national kid to an Olympic athlete. If you, what I look at it is that line. Um, but I, one of the things I found really stark contrast was what's going on with that kick between Akita Jima, who I got the fortunate opportunity to coach in, uh, into his retirement, is Akita Jima, there's a downward deflection of that kick as you extend into it, but it's, but it's, it gets in line. And Akita Jima does that better than anybody. It's mm -hmm. almost seamless. It just kind of 
goes here and then it's it's mm. it's lined up everybody used to talk about how he finishes with his toes together so i looked at how he finished that line if you look at uh eric chanteau who i also got the opportunity to coach into retirement i've done a lot of that um, <laughs> he was really good at that but you could see a little bit of a this this jolt into that positioning and then if you look at a junior national kid you see a downward deflection and then a very a very dramatic kind of lift into this line and then a beginner is down 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 and maybe they come up but but it, it, you look at that and it's like kiyajima was, was they talked about his heel speed and hand speed it's like look how he gets this alignment mm. and for a guy who's who can't be more than five seven if he's 150 pounds, I'd be surprised and had some tremendous speed. But I think getting that line from the through the legs for the kick, his timing of his shoulders through his through his head into his recovery lined everything up so quickly that he was more efficient with every stroke. And so it's it all comes down to regardless of the stroke we're talking about is, is the efficiency and and understanding the efficiency of each stroke and how do you ma maximize that? And so that's kind of the things that I look for in the breaststroke. I, I look at the other thing as I look for um, the, the the lower back and is that flattening out or is it or is water caving in on top of it? And so you look at that. And so you, 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 you kind of you, you uh, kind of negotiate with an athlete, try to get that that body position squared away. And then you then you create a tremendous efficiency. Wow, so so much there. Um, I, I want to ask about Adam Petey in, in terms of that. Just how do you explain that? You, you know, you talk about a kid of gym, and to me, that was perfection at the time. And then all of a sudden, an Adam Petey comes along and blows this whole thing out of the water and 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 drops three seconds in in the hundred breasts. It's like, what is he doing? Like he he took this thing to a different level, and I can't even explain it. I'm like, I don't know what he's doing. Yeah. Well, you, to be honest with you, if if you were to I I have done this, and I don't know if it still plays out. But if you look at Rebecca Sonia's stroke and Adam Petey's stroke, they're very similar. I right. think they're very similar. Right. Uh, Adam has a very abbreviated kick. Um, it's just very quick. It's very direct. Breaststroke. It's like the the backstroke pull has become very straight. It's not this old classical dig down deep come mm -hmm. up and finish low it's, it's more straight through you look at mm -hmm. uh missy franklin aaron pearsall it's more of a straight path through the stroke mm -hmm. i think the breaststroke kick has become more of a, of a focus of being this position but it's really just kind of straight back i think adam has a very abbreviated kick and he kind of has a just a really strong skull out in front and he's able to maintain the tempo throughout that entire uh, 100 that he swims or the 50 um he's the not power much, too yeah yeah a lot of power a lot of but but i think that's the contrast it, it would be interesting to look at the the, the true dynamic between a, a sony and a pd because i i always saw the similarities between the two strokes that there's a really more of a skull versus a pole and i teach a skull versus a type of a polling action and he's very abbreviated kick so he's very powerful um, and I'm not sure if it holds water to the extent that how I compared those two, but that's kind of what I saw early on with, with Adam Petey, uh, in his stroke compared to Rebecca Sony's that, that seemed different. But I think breaststroke's interesting because again, what I love about breaststroke, it, it, the nuance is so individualized. Uh, Jacoby out of, uh, mm. on the US Olympic team, she wins the Olympic gold medal, which is always 
the, the, the women's breaststroke, there's turnover breaststroke is so tremendous. And the mm. fact that Rebecca won uh, the Olympic 200 breaststroke two, two Olympics in a row is, was a feat uh, because that doesn't happen very often. Um, but there's always, and, and Lydia's breaststroke is so different from Lily King's breaststroke and uh, very intriguing. Breaststroke is interesting. And then, uh, and then, and then you've got uh, the, the 200 breaststroke uh, from South Africa who has completely yeah. different stroke with that late breath. I hadn't seen anything really like that before with, with that extremely late breath yeah. that, that she's yeah. doing interesting stuff. Um, well, one of the things, uh, I'd be remiss to kind of um, touch on too is that you know when when you have success with one athlete, then all of a sudden you get other athletes in that same uh, realm that want to come and either train with you or train with them, and then all of a sudden you've got a group. You had a group of women there for a while, the the breaststroke women that you had kind of in those in, in the late two thousand eight, nine, ten period. You know that that kind of period. Um, Carrie Hayne was in that group as well. Mm -hmm. This is her house, by the way, um, and. Uh, so how, how do you how do you manage a group of women like that where they're also in the same event, also in the same stroke? They've all got different strokes, yeah. and and yet um, here you are trying to get them all to be champions of the world. Is that is that a challenge? Well, it, it, you, the challenges exist. I, going before that challenge, it was interesting. I was uh, my two thousand eight. I was uh, at the time I was coaching Larson Jensen on the from the college team. And Osma Lulu, who was a post-grad, and along came Cleet Keller. And, and it's like a coach's dream. You get Cleet Keller, Larson Jensen, Osma mm. Lulu, swimming 400 on up, uh, 200 on up. And you, you get to coach them. It's like, this. oh, this is going to be a great year. We're going to see some great swimming. We had some great swimming, but never on the same day. It, it, was, it was so uh, – it, was, it, was, it wasn't stressful. It was like it was frustrating. It was like you'd think, oh, I can't wait to – run a workout mm. with these three guys, but one guy wouldn't be on the next day. Another guy wouldn't be on. And you just, you learn to deal with that. Um, but with, uh, in 2000 through 2012, I had, I had a, a group of women breaststrokers that, uh, it was a little scary because Carrie was there, Jessica Hardy, Rebecca Sony, yeah. uh, Lindsay Payne. Um, there was, there was, I think there was at least one more. There were five legit, women who could, yep. make, who could make four spots on the Olympic team, like uh, Amanda beer. I think I said Amanda beer had come back and swum with yep. me that year. And, um, and again, all very, very different in their strokes. And I, I'm, I was, I've always been very cognizant of never pit uh, women against each other. That's, I think that's a, a, a disaster to do that. So I never pit the women together. We never put them up against each other. And this, and, and, and to be honest with you, Amanda didn't stay with me through the end of that season because there was some, there was some, inf, there was some locker room stuff that, that right. she, just, I, she couldn't take. It. And I said, well, why don't you go swim with Cindy Gallagher and Cindy will take good care of you. And she did. So um, I was okay with that. And we set her up to, to, to be successful that year, but it was, it was trying for her to be in that environment. Um, but there was one occasion I was doing repeat fifties long course one time and I, I, I'd go down and I had, I'd probably that year, I had about 25 kids who went to the Olympics and, and a great group of athletes. And, and so we had probably 10 heats of swimmers and we'd put like three or four up on the blocks and, and I would go down, start them, come back get their times, go down, start the next group. And I, I'm going through this process and go down. It's the last heat coming up and on the, 
on the block is Jessica Hardy, um, uh, Rebecca Sony, and it might have been Carrie. I don't remember who it was, but it's three, three, three women going, oh, shit. You never <laughs> want to do that. But I did. I sent them off, and they, they had a great 50, and, and um, it, 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 nobody got upset with each other. They, they raced really well. So I always try to keep them separate. And, and they never it, – it's like when I had Rebecca and, and Jessica Hardy – they didn't really train together. They trained differently. And I just, I purposely kept them kind of apart from each other. Um, Cause you, you just had to massage, not their ego so much, but the way they, they believed they needed to train, I think as much as anything. And so I, I purposely kind of keep them kind of separate mm-hmm. doing their thing. And, and I think that's what I've been pretty good at is just trying to, to, uh, just get, there's a lot of nuance to my workouts that we don't have to get into, but, but giving them my athletes flexibility to, to do what they think they need to do as much as what I think they need to do. So, yeah, just on that. And I talked to you about this earlier before we came on air is, is my coach, David Marsh had a great amount of team success at Auburn, you know, won many team titles. But when I think of his career, I don't, I don't think of any individuals who necessarily, went on to dominate the world and, and uh, or, or a great vast number of them in terms of Olympic gold medals and world records. And then when I look at your career, it does have that, you know, a lot of, a lot of individuals were, have gone, and I'm not saying one's better than the other. I'm just saying, when I think of Dave Salo, I think of all the individual stuff that you've done. When I think of Dave Marsh, I think of the team stuff he's done. So like, why do you think that has been kind of the, the hallmark of both of your careers in terms of, how do we analyze it or do we, or is, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. I, and I think obviously it's, it's the situation uh, collegiately is that uh, the, the key component of being successful collegiately is being a great recruiter. Um, and Dave, I think is probably the, probably the best recruiter in the world. He's, he's constantly recruiting. He does a really good job of it. And I think that's yeah. where his advantage is. Um, I, 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 I think I did a, a pretty good job at USC. I'm disappointed that I could never win a, an NC2A championship because I wanted to do, do, to do that for Peter. Uh, I wanted to do that for the, the alumni, but we didn't get that done. We, I think we had some successes. We did pretty good successes. It became more and more difficult at USC in particular because it cost $65,000, $70,000 a year to go to school there. Um, but uh, you're right. I, I, I've always I've, I've attracted postgrad groups without intent. That was never my intent when I went to USC. It wasn't my intent when I was at Irvine Nova originally. Um, but we we would end up assembling groups of uh, postgrad athletes, and and I think in part it was people had heard my philosophy. You 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 recall when you're coaching when you're recruiting kids that they 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 want to change from what they're used to doing. They saw my group as kind of a change to what they uh, are used to doing. They saw that I coached my postgrad separately from my college team, and that was inducive to athletes looking at my program. Early in the day when there weren't a lot of postgrad programs affiliated with college teams, especially the separation that I had with mine, college coaches from all over the country, Stanford, NC State, uh, all the best teams in the country now would would – and send their kids to swim with me. So um, I actually got in trouble. I don't somewhat got investigated at USC because they said that I was using my postgrad swimmers 
to uh, recruit athletes and taking them out to breakfast and tours mm. the swim for a USC and and it, it, uh, um, and they would investigate these swimmers I had and they were swimmers who swam at Stanford they swam at Cal they swam at somewhere else that said there's no way they're going to try to entice a kid to go to somewhere other than where they went to school and so they blew that thing out of the water so it wasn't anything <laughs> yeah I think, I, I think I had something similar at Auburn as well I had a big pro group and yeah you know, there's always there's always that that talk of like oh, are you yeah. just using the pro group to recruit and, uh, no, no, well no it doesn't matter but yeah so i we've always assembled great groups of individual athletes i, I kind of jokingly say that i've coached a lot of really outstanding athletes into retirement because uh, <laughs> i've had the chance to coach some just amazing athletes ketogema uh, 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 david walters when he was prior to mm. Bert and Ricky, Ricky Barons and, and Eric Chanteau and, right. and um, Thiago Pereira and, and just mm. great athletes that, uh, that you, if you look at that, just ex- opportunity, I, I, I coached uh, Ian Thorpe for like two weeks. He came out to America to, to uh, continue his career. It lasted all about two weeks and then he went back to Australia. <laughs> But uh, just these opportunities to work with some great athletes and just kind of learn how they how they swim and how they how they how they've been successful. I had uh, Ryan Lochte for about a year. Um, uh, for so I've had some great athletes to to coach in their in their into their retirement. Well, a lot of a lot in that a lot of positivity in that a little bit of negativity and again we talked about this off air is you know you're running a college team but then you have this great pro group. So it's very hard to keep tabs on 80 people, you know, 90 people, however many people you got running through your pool at that point in time, maybe 100, who knows, so many. Um, But there's a lot of responsibility that you put on your pro group to say, hey, come in here and act responsibly. That has kind of bit you in the butt a little bit with with people like uh, Fmover, where she's tested positive and that reflects badly on you. And there's nothing about me... (laughs) Uh, or anyone else I would hope that would think that you are promoting somebody to go and take drugs. That, that's not even a, a, a question. We're not thinking that, but in terms of a couple of people who've come through your program and had some issues with the drug problem, like FMOVA, um, what have you learned from that that you uh, may do differently or even just recommend to people out there to say, hey, you know, keep an eye on this? I think that's it's it's a good question. I think, and I don't think those whether those things solely my my career does. I don't I don't know. Maybe it has. Maybe it hasn't. Doesn't really bother me because I know who I am and what I've done in my career. And and uh, I'm probably the most anti uh, supplement coach there ever was. That I right. don't encourage my athletes to take any kind of supplement i don't care what it is by the way dave denniston said that exact thing when i when i called dave denniston a couple hours ago to kind of research this he, he said the same thing you know yeah. he said that dave was always preaching anti-supplements to us so it's like yeah. how then how do you then get into the problem of someone like that testing positive then well I, and again i think it's uh i think it's a systemic problem that that especially when you're coaching international athletes they're they're not um they're not just at your home. They're, a, lot of, a lot of times they're transitory into your, into your program. And I think what happens in the terms of systemic problem with, with uh, not even abuse, but just uh, supplementation is that the kids go to international championships and they, 
they they do their race and then go sit in the jacuzzi with uh, other great athletes and and they're all talking about well what do you want what are you taking because they're all having that that common mm-hmm. conversation with each other and there was a time where everybody was was uh, um, taking uh, creatine and my group that I was coaching uh, prior to 2008 they were all taking creatine because they had to take creatine and that was going to help their phosphocreatine stores and blah 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 and it didn't matter what I could tell them. And at one point, I just got exhausted trying to tell them, you don't need you don't need this stuff and don't do it. Uh, I gave them uh, just the research, the kind of the, the con- consensus research on on use of, of, of creatine. Um, so it's it, but I think they, they go around the, the world and they they have these conversations with athletes that are successful and they want to know what they're what they're doing. Um, I'm, I'm amazed by the number of coaches who are promoting the use of any kind of supplementation and you see it all the time and you, you just get frustrated by it because I'm the one who I've had more, probably more athletes co- uh, test positive or something than mm-hmm. anybody else. And I'm the, the one most ardent about hard work is what pays off. It's not about supplementation. Um, early, I, I think I can tell the story. It, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a, it's not a bad story. It's a, uh, I was on the Olympic coaching staff in 2004, Michael Phelps, first Olympic team. And he was 15, maybe, I think, at the time. Young, young kid, very, very young. And he gets a, a box um, uh, from home. And I'm on the deck with him. He's opening the box. And it's uh, his, uh, it, it, was, it, it was some kind of a nutrition replacement thing that he was taking. Uh, just common thing. It was no big deal. Um, but he was more excited about as he dug down in the box, there were like three big boxes of Mike and Ike candies. And I said, I think it's the Mike and Ike candies, not <laughs> the, the glycogen repletion drink that he was taking. Mm. But you look at all these kids and they're all on a glycogen repletion thing or they're on this, they're on that, they're on this. Um, it, the, the, the thing that, that uh, FMOVA came under cr- tremendous criticism in that second test was uh, for a a, 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 a a concept versus a real uh, performance enhancing drug. And I can't remember the name of the, the thing, but it's this this supplement they were taking, all the Eastern European athletes were taking this thing because it, it's supposedly um, uh, it protects the heart from exhaustion. So they're all taking, all, all Eastern European athletes were taking it because they, they, they thought it would save their heart. Well, and then uh, WADA gets a hold of this thing, and, and there, there wasn't a prevalence of, of legit um, scientific background to suggest this thing was a supplement or enhancing, a performance-enhancing supplement. It's just that everybody was doing it, so there must be something wrong with it. So we're going we're gonna to ban this thing, and it was, it was unfortunate. One thing I did find, and my athlete said, who, who Jessica Hardy tested positive for a tainted uh, vitamin that she she made a lot of money suing the the, the supplement company for mm-hmm. um, Kicker Vensel was one of the athletes who same thing. He had a proven proven uh, vitamin supplement that was found to be tainted and uh, ended his career. But it was they they proved Jessica Hardy and Kicker Vensel both proved that they had a supplement that was contaminated. Um, but you you saw that the the horrors that these kids went through and and we 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 kind of monsterize these athletes and it, that's a little frustrating. We want the sport to be clean um, and, and I'm all, all for that. 
but we, we kind of monsterized some of these kids who inadvertently have taken something and, and they've gotten into trouble for it and they've lost their careers, which is unfortunate. Uh, but but I, I'm all for a clean sport. I, well, the, the other thing I don't like about our sport is that somebody some in the United States, somebody throws down a, a, an amazing swim and everybody's going, well, they're on drugs. Hmm. Drugs. But well, wait a second. You in the last couple of years have done something phenomenal too, but we're not accusing you of doing the same thing. So stop it. You know, yeah. If you got, got genuine evidence for 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 this, then then throw it out at us. But Katinka Hoji would be criticized all the time. Uh, yet she never tested positive. She tested all the time. She went around the world racing constantly. Mm -hmm. And I know how Katinka is by all measures one of the hardest working individual in the weight room, in the pool, driven, and one of the just amazing. Uh, athletes that I've ever coached, just clean, clean as can be. And, and, uh, but, but we would come upon criticism for being exceptional. And, and when American athletes do that, nobody was accusing Katie Ledecky of that when she won her first gold medal in the 800 meter freestyle. But her, her leap to that performance was huge. It's like, this girl works hard. We've seen it. She's got a great yeah. score. And those results are possible. Was it hard for you to, um, cut your relationship with FMOVA? Yeah, I was basically told by the university that I had to uh, curtail that relationship. Um, yeah. I had a great relationship with her. She did train with me this year through her trials in Russia when she got to, got to swim with me again. Uh, they passed a rule, I think, by Fina or somebody that you couldn't coach somebody who's been uh, tested positive or has a, has a, uh, a result that was uh, being investigated. Um, you know, I, 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 I don't know if that's the best course of action versus uh, keeping an athlete under your wing. And but, but again, I that's just the way it is. And um, again, I've I've never encouraged anybody to do anything other than work hard uh, and probably eat a good, good, good uh, balanced. Uh, I, in fact, stop encouraging kids to take uh, just a general vitamin because because what happened to kicker Vensel that you just don't know what's happening with those things. I was going to say, like, so, so other than just saying what you've always said, is there anything else that you've definitely implemented in your program of, of like, what, like, you know, is there, is there anything that other coaches can learn from this? You know, I, I just, stuff I, once, the, once the kids knew my position, I, and I found this out to be true at USC, even once, once the kids knew my position, I don't want them taking any, any kind of supplementation at all. They would hide it. Mm. And and I'm, I'm I don't care what the supplement is if it's a glycogen repletion thing I don't think you need that just have a really good diet eat properly a good time sensitive uh, diet then you're going to be okay you're going to replenish those stores but um, the kids would just kind of hide it and then you you go in the locker room they're they're kind of shuffling it off of the into their locker so you can't see because they know my 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 stance on that. Um, and, and by the way, this isn't just a, a you problem. We had yeah. this, I, I had the same problem. I'd walk into the locker room sometimes. You wouldn't go into the locker room very often. That's their space. But yeah. walking sometimes and you'd look in the locker room and have 10 different supplements. I'm like, what is this? Yeah. Do you know what this is, first of all? Do you know where it's coming from? You know, and I'd have athletes from Brazil and uh, other countries, and, and they have different standards there in terms of the way they make their supplements. It's yeah. We don't have the same standards in America. So it's like, you're getting a supplement that has um, very low grading uh, of you don't know where it's being made, what it's what it's in it, 
and you don't even know why you're taking it. You're just taking it because the guy next to you is taking it or someone at the other program said it was a good idea. It's it's like you said, they all get in the hot tub and it's like they start talking about, oh, I'm taking this. Oh, that's a great idea. I might do that. I might do that. And then the coaches are completely in the dark about it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think most coaches are, I think most coaches are definitely in the blind of, with regards to this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not familiar with it, but, but there are some coaches that are always trying to you know, test the boundaries of this stuff and they look at the, whatever advantage they can get to their kid. I just, I just, I wish the kids would just come to practice and train really hard and, and, uh, and just have a good, healthy diet. And I think that takes care of itself. Yeah, I agree. Well, thanks for um, digging into that a little bit. I appreciate it. It's not easy, but uh, um, one of the things that confuses me about you, I don't know what you, I don't know, what's this XYZ thing, man? Come on, what's happening? Like, what, yeah, I read your workouts and I, and I haven't been in them. I, I haven't trained under you. So I'm like, what is he doing? Talk to me about it. What is this? Well, XYZ came out of when I was coaching at Irvine before I went to USC, I had I had I think I had 25 kids go to the Olympic trials in 2004. And they range from kids like kids, Jason Lezak, who's obviously the sprinter that he is, and Aaron Pearsall, who is a backstroker and Haley Pearsall, who is a really exceptional miler, 800 freestyler. And so I had all these things in between. So it was from Lezak to really good distance kids across the board. And I was the only coach on deck generally during that time. And during the, what I call fine tuning, which would be comparable to most coaches uh, tapering phase, I had to find a way to manage that. And so um, I started doing in that taper phase leading into big championships. I go, I, we would enter, interject these xyz sets so four times x plus y plus z and then i would tell the kids uh x is on one minute y is on 115 z is on 130 uh you can choose whatever distance you want to do and even whatever equipment you want to do whatever stroke you want to do i just want it fast and that's that was the that was the premise it's xyz Intervals one minute, 115, 130. You can vary those intervals. It doesn't matter. You choose the distance. Just be fast. Use whatever equipment you want. Do whatever stroke you want. That way, Jason was on one minute, 115, 130. Haley, who's swimming the miles, on one minute, 115, 130. And you would learn from the athletes what they thought they needed. And so if Jason was going to 25, 25, 25, you go, he thinks he needs more rest. Okay, that's fine. If Haley would go 100, 150, 200, she would tell me with that action that she thinks she needs to do more. And so I could use that information to really kind of guide them through that, that, that important phase of preparing for the championship meet. They'd get what they'd want. I would see more information. I want them fast because I think being fast all the way through up into the championship meet is, is important. But you get a really good sense of what they want. Aaron Pearsall might go 50, 75, 100. And I would say, oh, okay, that's what he thinks he needs. I want to play to that versus what I think I need. And I think that's helped me out. Then I and then and now I just use it as just a general way to present workouts. That um, I did that, and I vary it all the time. It's it's really fun. It's it's a lot of fun to do it that way. Um, so this morning we did um, a set that uh, has an X component. So it was like. A, I might go like 100, we're polling set. So 100 plus X, 75 plus X. 
50 plus X. And I'd say the 175, the 50 are on 130, 115, one minute. And X is always on 120. And you decide what you want to go on the on X, but I just want it fast. The 175 and 50 is a build through. So build through that. X is full speed. I don't care what you, I, sometimes I say it's it's minimally 25 or it's minimally 50, whatever I, I, I want to change the set to. So it, it, it just uh, it gives you information on what they're thinking. Uh, you're trying to see are they willing to challenge themselves and, and, and go to the, a longer distance. Not that that's what they have to do, but you want to see how they re respond to that kind of work. I, sometimes I get frustrated when I do an X, Y, Z and people are going 15 meters. It's like, okay, that's, you know, you don't have to train for 15 meters. You got to train <laughs> for like 75, but you don't have to train for 15 years. Taking it too far. Yeah. So I, I implement the X, Y, Z periodically, but, but break it up differently all the time. One of my favorites, you, you, a lot of coaches ask how I do things differently now, and I keep evolving the way I do things. And I evolve in part by the, the feedback I get from other coaches who try some of these things. I had a coach complain to me one time that he wants to do what I do, but he's taken over a team and they think they're not doing enough yardage. And how do I kind of, how do I balance that? They're not doing enough distance type stuff. And I, I thought about it and I sent him a note said, well, here's a way to do it. Uh, and I use this in my workouts quite often. It's like, let's say you want to go uh, 200s, but you want to implement my philosophy, which is more race pace. So, Go, we're going to go sets of 200. You're going to go first. It's each 200 is broken and it's 325s plus X. X is the 100, it's, it's 125 uh, yards worth of work. So you tell them, you insist the first 325s are 25s, uh, five seconds rest after each 25, full speed. And then you get to choose what the 125 that remains looks like. Break it. You get 20 seconds total time to use, break it how you want, go straight, I don't care. And then you get your work you want fast, and their work, which they think they need more of, and you get a bounce. And then you tell them, but, it has, but you have to be under your best time. Mm. So total swim time has to be under your best time. And they'll find out in short order that, well, okay, let me, let me do that. Let me try that. Right, so, right. So I'm constantly evolving that kind of dimension to my work. Why is the uh, the factor of swimming fast so important to you in practice? Because <laughs> swimming slow is boring to watch. <laughs> well, I know the well, I know the answer. By the way, I'm just talking <laughs> to everybody else here. Well, well, I, you you think of us as coaches, and the the wonderful thing as being coaches is there. It you don't tell them this, but they're there for your entertainment. I mean. <laughs> you, they're doing it's it's an amazing sport because you sometimes I, I'm amazed at, at all these kids are sitting there swimming for you and and um, and you go they're going to do anything I tell them to do because they believe in what I, I'm saying so you, you you you've got so much control over this these people in doing what you're going to have them do and it, it's sometimes it's for your own entertainment see what they can do uh, I I just kind of err on the side of race pace because i i think a lot of slow swimming just doesn't do anything good for you it, it's i tell the kids when i get in these conversations it's it's i've had some recently even uh that um that it, i could 
be as much I walk, I'm constantly walking on the deck. I walk, walk with the kids as they swim. I never sit down, it's stationary. So I'm walking the deck constantly. And if you look my my watch, I probably put in five miles every practice. And and I tell the kids I could I could literally walk a, a tent, I, I could walk a marathon. I couldn't go very fast because I'm not doing anything very fast. And I liken that to the same thing with swimming. If you want to go 46 seconds in the 100 yards butterfly, you have to train at that speed. Mm. And what comes along with that is as you increase the speed, drag forces increase exponentially. So you need to train at the drag force that you're going to encounter at that particular racing speed that when you go to race. And so there's some 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 actual mechanical things that, that, that applies to why I swim fast. The other components physiologically, if you want to enhance the buffering system, you got to go fast. You can't go slow and impact have an impact on the buffering capacity. And that's an important part when you're we're swimming fast over shorter durations. Um, um, I'm, I'm also really proud of the fact that Osmaluli won a gold medal, both in the 10K and the, and the 1500 meter freestyle four years apart. And we didn't do a single, we didn't do 10,000 yards in practice, let alone an intense swim of that sort. And we didn't do a 1500 in practice in the eight years that I coached him. Mm-hmm. Uh, however long I coached him, we, we never did a straight 1500. Uh, there was one time I tell a story that when I was coaching Larson Jensen and he, uh, Osmaluli, <clears throat> Larson on occasion would call me up and say, coach, it's, I know it's coming up Sundays tomorrow. Would you mind coming in? And I want to just go a straight 1500 for time. And, and, and just, just, I just want to put in a really good effort on Sunday. I said, sure, I'll come in. I'll, I'll do that. And I would call Ose up. This happened like one time, not often. So I called Ose up and I said, Ose, come on in. Larson's going to do a 1500 for time. We'll just warm up, do a 1500 for time, just get after it. And so this is a couple of years after I was started coaching Ose. And so we get it there. We start this 1500 freestyle and at about 400 meter mark, Ose, Ose gets out. I said, well, what's up? I said, I haven't done a 1500 with you in, in two years. Why am I going to start doing them now? <laughs> right. So Larson finished it up and we were, we're on our way. So I, I think racing is fast swimming has physiologic mechanic uh, reactions to it. And that's why I right. do more uh, fast stuff. I also do fast work in drill type sets. So a lot of the drill work we do is at, at, at high intensity versus slow intensity. I war- do warm down stuff in, in slower intensities. I'll do recovery work in between sets. Um, I had a kid as a, as a side story. I had a kid the other day tell me one. He was a little nervous about his 200 fly coming up. And are we doing enough work? Are we doing the right work for 200 flies? I said, we, we train once a day. I give you that. But we're training for an hour and a half to an hour and 45 minutes every day. And you're asking me, is that enough work for an event you want to go 148 or 145 in? Come on. That's that's ridiculous. You an hour and 45 minutes to get you ready for a one minute, and 45 second mm. race should be enough. And I package my work like in 20 minute segments is kind of what I do. So 20 minutes of really intense work is what we do. So you've got to equate what you're doing in that 20 minutes to going 148 speed or 145 speed, whatever your time is. And, and that's, that's, that's how you equate it is, am I going work that's related to this race? Are your are your is your tempo there? Is your turns right? Are you holding the speeds or the stroke count relative to how you're going to race? 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then it just you speak a lot to my philosophy. I had a swimmer, my inter, international swimmer that just joined us, and he's been with us for a month. And today after practice, he says, are we going to have that goal meeting? Are we going to have a goal talk? And I said, I don't talk to my athletes about goals. It's My goal is to uh, is to train you to be the best athlete you can be. It has, doesn't matter what your goal is. I don't, I'm trying to make you the best you can be, not right. – not uh, pigeonhole it based on a particular time. And that's even when I was at USC, I don't know if it was good or bad. It's just my philosophy. I don't, uh, we would, I would never talk to the kids about goals, specific goals. If they had them, they could relate them to me. That's fine. But I told my goal and this is kind of my responsibility is to drive everybody towards NC toys podium. And so I'm looking at that. If your goal is something less than that, no, that's fine. But, I've got my goal is to coach you towards making NC toys and scoring an NC toys. So your goals are really irrelevant to what my charge is. And that's, that's kind of what my job is. So I, I just, I've, I just kind of, I don't have a lot of goal meetings with, with athletes. I, I'm just trying to make them better than they think they are. It's interesting. The more you talk about sprint and, and, and this sort of stuff, um, the more I can see similarities in us and I, and you and I have never really crossed paths in that sense. So it's interesting that, um, our philosophies are very, very similar. I feel the same way, and, it, and it's no, no, un, you know, no doubt for me why you've had a lot of success because I, I believe in the same things, and uh, yeah. I, I think they hold true, uh, for sure. Do you have a not a not a favorite athlete, but do you have a, a best athlete of all time? Like who who's your best athlete? Who's who's watching the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> you, they've all been intriguing. They've all been really interesting and intriguing. I, I uh, Aaron Pearsall obviously comes to mind first, right. almost always, because right. I was coaching him um, as a 13-year-old and and watching him develop. And he was always just he was just always in good spirits. There nothing mm-hmm. could bring him down. Um, I talk. I I tell the story a lot, a lot of times that I'm not a I'm not a I don't, I don't see things go, oh, I, I can see where this kid can be. But I saw early on that I think this kid could be really good. And I pulled him aside when he was 13. I've been swimming with me for, for a year. And I told him that I, I thought he could make the Olympic team four years uh, do. And I, I, I said, look, I think you can make the, the Olympic team. Um, I don't, it was probably, I don't remember, what you, in 2000, I guess. He was 13. Um I said, I think you can make it in the Turner backstroke. And, uh, and he said, Oh, okay. And he was just like this surfer dude kind of kid. And I, and I said, we're not going to talk about it again. I just think you can do that. I just want you to know that I, that's what I think you can be. And he just went off in his merry way. And that that's that we didn't make a big deal about it. We just kept pushing it through. Did the same thing with Amanda Beard. She moved in my group when she was 13. We were about a year out from the Olympics in 96 and i actually got her parents involved and i sat them down and said look i i think she i i think she could make the team so i just i just want you to be prepared for that because it's it could be a whirlwind and i don't want it to be the whirlwind if you just if it just falls upon you like in a month's time so um i, I picked those correctly and uh but i got to watch them train train amanda i think i think amanda trained out of fear um not just because my workouts were so rapid paced from when she was swimming uh, age group. And it just was just like constant and 
the the detail of my workouts were so so extensive that if, if you don't catch it, you feel like you're going to get behind and get get in trouble. Uh, whereas Aaron was just this he's a kind of goofy kid that would do you could do anything and just uh, never had a bad day, never raced a bad day. I never saw one. So he's probably the one that comes to mind. I, I think that's fair. I don't think there'd be too many people would, would disagree with Aaron Pistol being the greatest athlete. <laughs> <laughs> he's pretty special, that guy. Uh, had many, many uh, trips with him uh, around the world and just was in amazement of the way he would uh, go about his business, man. Yeah. <laughs> loved it. Loved watching him race. Such a, you know, I always think that Olympic champions, there's something special about them. You know, whether you like it or not, there just really is. There's something special about an Olympic champion. They kind of separate themselves somehow. And I uh, certainly felt that with Aaron. Yeah. I, well, I think it, what's interesting, I, and I, like I said, I've been really, really fortunate to coach a lot of uh, Olympic athletes and medalists and world record holders. And I, I think they're one of the kind of the dysfunctional things about uh, performance athletically or almost in anything, but athletically in particular, is that I think a lot of these athletes are running away from something and they think that their life will change if they just win that gold medal or they break mm -hmm. a world record and their, their life is going to change because they, they feel like there's there's something lacking in their life and then they find out that it's it's oh my gosh this didn't really change my life and that's kind of a dysfunctional thing and one of the things i've, I've kind of prided myself over, over my career is that in particular with women is is I want to empower the women to stop swimming for me or stop swimming for your parents. Um, do it because this is what you want to accomplish and don't look at it as this is life changing. It, it can change your life, it can impact your life positively, but don't look at it as, as change it so, so disruptively that it, it makes you happy. That's not what's going to make you happy. One of my, my constant things now with the, I'm, again, I said I sub in a lot with the senior kids when coaches are away and I, every time I get a chance to talk about pride, I talk about pride with the athletes and I tell them that, you know, what pride is, you need to be prideful of your work, what you do and not hope looking for somebody else's pride in you. Don't look for your parents' pride. They have to, they have to be proud of you because they were cheering you on when you learned to go potty and, and that's what they do and that's what they're supposed to do. But don't learn, learn to be prideful in your work, your daily work, your performance, your results, and not look for pride from somebody else, your coach, your parents, your grandparents. And, and I think it's a message that we need to get to with our athletes that this is you, it's yours. Um, you, you, you've got to take, you've got to embrace it. And uh, you, your, your life will be a lot better off if you learn that versus, uh, versus the alternative. And you, some of the questions you've asked, me early on about my career and do i uh, do i worry about criticisms of me or, or or whatever it's like no i'm proud of my career i'm really proud yeah. of what i've done and and i know my parents are even though they're they're gone they're, they're deceased i know they would be proud of me but i didn't seek their pride i was i want to be proud of me and what i've done and how i've had a positive impact on athletes versus and it's not just the gold medals it's it's you know, it's, it's Anthony, Anthony, uh, swam for me briefly. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, we had a falling out and he got what he ultimately wanted, but I'm proud of the fact that I forced him to swim because he want every time he swam, he'd, he'd want to get out and, mm. and, and I'd say, look, you just have to do it. And he, he did, he got through that point. We had a bit of a falling out and he went on to swam with, uh, 
uh, Coach Marsh and had a, won a gold medal. I'm really proud of him for that, but it was more important that he accomplished what he wanted to accomplish versus trying to make me proud. And it just, yeah. It wasn't, that wasn't as important. Um, two other things. Okay. And there's probably, we could do another podcast. We could, we could get for four hours, but um, I'll, I'll, I'll reduce it to two more things. You had an experience in the ISL just recently with the, with the Tokyo Frog Kings and probably still going with that, but um, you guys got um, kicked out of the semifinal competition. Um, the obvious question is uh, how was that experience for you? But I'm going to give you a different question. What, what could the athletes be doing better for this to be a success? Well, uh, my experience with the Tokyo Frog Kings, is uh, it's been amazing. I really enjoyed it. Um, Kosuke Kitajima uh, asked me to take on that role, and, and I did it without, any, without hesitation. I was retiring from USC, and I, I told him I could commit 100% to, it, so, to ISL, to the Frog Kings, for its success. To be honest with you, I, I think where the athletes could really – best serve themselves and the development of ISL is to quit complaining about not getting paid on time. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they've been afforded an opportunity to uh, train and compete, uh, all expenses paid, uh, whether they've gotten their, their bonuses or their salaries uh, is beside the point. Uh, we spent, uh, I, I spent 40 days with the Frog Kings in, in Italy and had a great time. I could have stayed, I could have lived there forever, probably, <laughs> um, and, and enjoyed it. We, the kids got to train. I was found it fortunate to be able to train them the way we wanted to train them. They got to compete. Um, same thing in Hungary last year. They got to be for great accommodations, you know, fully paid for. Um, and got to train when a lot of people couldn't train because of the pandemic. And I think if they, I think they, if they, if they just put aside that they might not have been paid on time, they'll get paid. I think uh, Constantine will make that happen, but they'd be better served just to, to, if they don't get paid, they've had this great experience, great opportunity to train and to compete and let this thing play itself out. But if you're going to complain and not participate because you didn't get paid, and I don't know what they get paid. It's that's that's uh, way above my pay grade. But um, God, look at the opportunity that's been presented, and and I think this that will give this this league the option and get the footing it needs to be successful in the long run. Everybody has to sacrifice for change to happen, mm. and they've got to look at this as okay, sacrifice that payment on time to make this happen. So down the road, uh, kids who come up are going to have a, an environment where they can be successful train, compete, um, and get paid maybe on time. I, I agree with that. Um, I don't think swimmers have caught on to how to fully be professional yet either. I think, I think there's a lag a little bit and, and some have for sure, you know, some get it. I coach a guy right now, Bruno Frattis. He understands what professional swimming is. I'm not going to, yeah. not going to throw him under the bus, but there's, there's, especially in a league where there's hundreds of swimmers, seems like there's a small percentage who get it and then there's a there's a percentage that still don't so what could you recommend without you know talking about anyone individually but what could you recommend to swimmers to professionalize themselves oh gosh um well i i think the it's 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 uh you you not sure i'm a, expert on this i I think you you've got to i think what one thing i think with with swimmers generally speaking american swimmers in particular 
they're always, everybody says they're, they're always so complimentary American swimmers who give up their time. They, they talk to the kids, the age group kids coming up, they make themselves available to, uh, to those kind of promotions. And I think that's one of the things that they, 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 we hope they never lose that. They don't become so entitled as, as a professional athlete. Um, but I think they got to take professional at a, out of the appropriate balance. It's like these kids finish college and all of a sudden they think they're professional and they're going to go get an agent and they're going to make mm. all this money. And it's like, calm, calm down. It's swimming. It's not major league baseball or football. Mm. It's, it's, if you want to swim great, but have a, a balance of where we are out in the sport and promote yourself, mm -hmm. uh, make yourself mm -hmm. available to promote the sport because mm -hmm. the more you can promote the sport, the better. We still live, live in a, a, a cloud of, of, um, of, 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 of imperceptible beings out there because nobody knows we're there. We're, we just, mm. we don't, nobody knows. Nobody really cares about swimming. And it's not just a four-year thing. People get turned on to swimming because it's on TV every four years. And, and that's the extent to which it, there is. And, and the problem in swimming is that you're – you're uh, this blob bouncing around the water. You can't see a, a face or a personality versus somebody who, who's, who uh, is playing another sport like a basketball in particular. Um, so they, they've got to get out there. They got to promote themselves. And I think they're, mm -hmm. they're going to learn that more and more as, as the, the NC2A's rules change about names, image and likeness, where they're going to, they're going to, they're going to do that because they're exposed to that. And then they got to match it up with performance. And um but I don't know if I have a great, great vision towards how that happens other than make themselves available, get out of their comfort zone, don't get away from this, this sense of entitlement because you're, you're, you're great. Brett, I, I, you, I, I think you might agree. I think you and I are probably a lot more similar than a lot of people would even imagine training-wise and stuff. But mm -hmm. I, I've kind of laughed at some of our, the athletes periodically that, that they're no better than a ditch digger. Um, and they take offense to that. I said, no, you're right. Ditch digger is better because he did, digs a ditch. You just swim. <laughs> and we're entertained by it. And as coaches, we're entertained by it. And we get to coach you towards these performances. But it's just swimming. It's not that important in life. It's not curing cancer. It's not solving the, the, the current uh, problem with inflation. It's, 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 it's none of those things. And so, no, I agree with that. But, you know, the thing I believe is that if you're going to do it, do it well as well. Yeah. You know, there, there, are, there are athletes that turn up and they're just not in shape. They're, they're not prepared to swim fast. They're not ready physically, mentally, whatever it is. Yeah. You know, like, like a guy like uh, Coleman Stewart or, or Beta Nelson who, who missed the Olympic team and yet come to the ISL and they're ready to go. You know, yeah. it's like that to me, that's professional swimming. It's like, okay, deal with your disappointment, sure. But if you're in this, and be ready for this. Represent this. Do it well. Do it to the best of your ability. And I, I still feel like that's not across the board with, with some people. It's just they're just not ready for it, you know? No, I, I agree with you. I, we, we had some kids who, who look, they, they didn't make the team. They're disappointed in that. And then they roll over and play dead versus taking the opportunity of going to ISL and, and, and going, okay, you missed out, but here's this. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're in this quandary, so they don't do – but they don't intend to quit swimming. So they sit back and do nothing for two or three months. And then they start mm -hmm. this whole thing again. It's the Olympics are, the Olympics are, you know, it, it's out of proportion to in how impactful it truly is. You don't make a lot of money off the Olympics. I went through this with Vlad Morozov and 
Wad says, look, I'm going to the Olympics. I'm swimming the 50. I'll swim some relays, but that's not my money. That my money is my job is World Cup, ISL, mm -hmm. and that's that's where I make my living. It's not off of Olympic gold medal. And yeah, yeah. I think, that, I think in general he's he's got it right. Mm -hmm. I wish he would show up at ISL in the best shape of his life. He was he was compromised this year because he got sick beforehand, but um, but he, he, I think he's got it right. I've had I've had a great relationship with Vlad, and he, he's he's securing his finances and he's doing the right things and but he still enjoys life and takes more vacations than i've ever had in my lifetime but <laughs> he's earned it so well i think there's ways to do that now you know of like you know take take your spots pick your spots but be be ready when you need to be ready you know he like you said he's, he's making money in a, in a way that is is it's not groundbreaking because people have done it for the past 10 15 years it's just there's more of it now but there's more chances to be professional i think if you if you want to break, get your break, but have your break. Don't don't keep complaining about the fact that you didn't get a break. Yeah. Get it and get going on swimming. You got you got a window here of like, hey, if I could go back and be a professional athlete now, I would. But this old body doesn't allow me. So it's yeah. like my my window's closed. So it's like exactly. they don't understand there's this window. So all right, I get it. You need a break physically, mentally. Take it, then come back and be ready to go because you got three or four years at this. That's it. And then. Yeah. Yeah at best so it's like you know make the most of it i'd say but um last thing is we both had a hand in uh the the short so far career of um cody simpson you you're the one who got him in the water you got him you got him going i've had i've had a little bit of uh chance to work with him a bit he's down in australia now doing his thing he just got selected for his first australian team camp he got uh, selected on the butterfly camp for australia so he's part of an australian team now so Very cool. um Pretty cool. Good, good kid, hey? Yeah, yeah. He was, yeah, it was funny. It was um, one of my favorite stories where he was training with me at Trojan Swim Club. I was talking to a female recruit, and I always I would talk about Trojan Swim Club because that's what I was also doing. And I had said, "Yeah, we it's we picked up this new swimmer. His name's Cody Simpson. You you might know him." And she goes, "Oh, oh yeah, I remember him when I was 12. <laughs> <laughs> but Cody was great. I he was. Uh, I never questioned his uh, his his interest and in what he was pursuing. He was very honest with me about what he was trying to do, and and he was really good in terms of when he couldn't be there, he would let me know, and uh, if he had to get out early from practice, he would he would let me know in advance. And I always appreciated that. But I, I'll work with you within the constraints of your your profession. Your profession is your entertainer. Um, so I, it was it was it was it was cool to watch. I, I watched that. Uh, that uh, the broadcast of uh, that uh, short series that you guys did. Oh yeah, head above water. Mm. Head above water. And I was I, when I I turned it on. I was thinking, is this going to be a, some hokey thing? Mm -hmm. And I really, I actually found really enjoyment in it because everybody was talking about things beyond swimming. Ian Thorpe was talking about things that were were kind of related to mental health and that kind of thing. And it was just, it was really a better understanding of the personalities of these athletes that were striving towards the same goal. And uh, Cody's story is very interesting, obviously. And um, to, 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 and, and I think the lesson learned from that, and I think you appreciate that as anybody, is that here comes this guy who's been out of the mix of swimming for years, basically. He's had a great entertainment career. Um, but you don't, you don't sell his goal short of what it is that he wants to do. You just say, okay, mm. that's fine. Get in the water. Let's go. Let's, let's do this a hundred percent. And I, and mm. I saw you in action as well and saw the same thing that you're going to do this, do this right. 
Mm -hmm. and I'll back you 100% as far as it takes you. So um, that's what I think is the lesson learned from that experience is that you you just you just you you give everybody their due and and hold them accountable, obviously. Um, but don't sell them short that, oh, this will never happen. That's the worst tactic to take is like, oh, you, you can't do that. Yeah. Believe, believe yeah. they can do it. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of took the same approach that you're talking about in terms of, we didn't really set out to, to hit a particular goal. It was just, we're going to make you the best you can be. And I don't know what that is. It could be, could be here. It could be here, but we'll, we'll keep pushing the boundaries and see where we end up. And and he's with Michael Ball now, who's one of the best coaches in the yeah. world. And I'm, I'm seeing, he sends me workouts and he just keeps getting better. So it's like, well, I'm not going to put a limit on it. I don't know where you can end up. You know, I've seen, I've seen other people kind of um, hit, hit a wall um, for various reasons, but uh, he seems to be one of those guys, like you said, um, he, he's very genuine and, and he, and he wants to be good. And he kind of um, will be all in on, on this process for however long he's going to do it. And now he, he says he's going to commit to, to Paris and in 24 and um, listen, you give that guy a couple of years and I, I can see him making big strides. Uh, right. Is he going to be an Olympian? I don't know, but uh, like good on him for, for at least having a crack at it, you know, and, uh, and doing this. Uh, so the, yeah, it's going to be exciting. The, the only thing it's, the only thing we regret is he never, he never brought uh, Miley Cyrus to, to the, to the pool, which was like, <laughs> When are we going to see? When are we going to see her? When see her? I never brought her by. But he was great. He was like a, a guy who was that successful and that that uh, engaged in the entertainment business. He was very humble, a lot of humility, yep. and and it's like every so often I, I play music practice all the time. And every so often I throw in some Cody Simpson music, and you turn that off. <laughs> no, we want everyone to hear. You and I are very similar then because I would do the same thing yeah. just to piss him off. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Oh, well, listen, I've enjoyed this. We're, we're, we're crept up to two hours. We're, we committed to an hour and here we are at two now. So we've done really well. I think we could do a part two for sure Probably at some time. point. Um, but uh, what's next then? I mean, you've done everything there is to do in the sport. You, you're, you know, you're a GM of one of the biggest club teams in the country. I mean, you've done it all. So what's next for you? You know, I, when I went into semi-retirement, I kind of vowed that I would take on projects, but not get into anything that I couldn't get out of, uh, like a full-time commitment. I, I'd been approached, uh, uh, last summer about taking on a, a associate head coach position, a college job. And I thought about it somewhat seriously for 24 hours and then I said, I just don't want to do that. I don't want to coach mm -hmm. college anymore. I enjoyed it. Uh, I missed some aspects of college coaching, but mm -hmm. uh, now I'm just taking on projects. So ISL with the uh, Tokyo Frog Kings is, is a new passion. I stay on at Irvine Nova Aquatics in my capacity as general manager. And I've got the small group that I coach. And I, I had a meeting with them yesterday that I, it was kind of a why meeting. We've done this a month. Why are you doing this? Why are we here? And we had some really interesting stories from the, from the I had 10 people. And we had some real interesting stories and some tears. And, and uh, I told them after they spoke that my why is because you want me here. And as long as you want me here, I'll, I'll come and do this. And, and I will continue to evolve um, my methods to get you to go faster. And 
And so that's my why. And I do that. I, I'm a volunteer or some, somewhat semi-volunteer coach at Orange Coast College, which is a local community college where I coached before I went to USC. And uh, head coach is a former swimmer of mine that I helped get him that job. And so it's, it's kind of fun. Junior college coaching is great because the kids all they get. They, they're so excited about it and having fun with it. And there aren't scholarship that you're judging them for. It's just it's they get so excited. Break this if somebody breaks a minute of 50 freestyle, they're excited. It's like, God, this is this is the true love of the sport. So I'm just having fun in this this gig with uh, USA Swimming and, and, and uh, Short Course World Championships is another project that's two weeks in duration. And I, and then I'm taking care of me. I, I've lost 30 pounds. Mm. The right way. I noticed that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm 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 in the gym almost every day for almost two hours every day, and I'm working wow. out in the weight room that I never did before. And good for you. Feel good about that. I've got my blood pressure under control. I'm just content. I'm happy, and I have no needs in the worry other than finishing my house. And um, just uh, I'm going to take a Salo Swim Camp on the road internationally, and do some international camps uh, probably next summer. That's the plan, and. Uh, having a good time good for you that's that's really good especially the health part i i'm i'm with you on that i'm, I'm trying i've been sick the last week maybe you can hear a little nasally but uh I'm, I'm getting over it but i want to get back in the gym i think it's so crucial and i recommend that for any coaches to yeah. to we, we talk about athlete mental health but there's certainly coaches mental health and a lot of it just comes down to the the way that you treat your own body you know, we, we kind of abuse our bodies as coaches. Generally, we don't look after ourselves. So I think just to see the, the health that you're in right now, you do look healthy and look and, it, and it's a good feeling. You can just you can see there's a different feel about you, you know, like you've got a different confidence about you now, which is, you know, anyone that knows you, I can see it for sure. But um, there must have been a, a, a time where you had thought seriously about a pro team, like a real pro team. Is that is that even a possibility in America or in the world where we could have a real pro swim team? Uh, well, I, I, outside of a postgraduate type program, I, I, I'm not sure. I think that the, the vehicle for that is going to be International Swimming League. I think that's the goal of most of the general managers is to uh, have a, a hub where their team can train on a regular basis. Uh, I've told Kosuke Kitajima that I'm more than willing to uh, kind of assume that role being the head coach that if they want to uh, create a hub uh, that we in have. Tokyo, you'd move to Tokyo. Well, he's actually he's he said, well, he'd rather have his kid. The kids come to to California, to be honest with you. He's okay. he's really looking at the the Tokyo experience in the ISL. He really his experience when he came out to swim for me. Um, it was an opportunity for him to get away from uh, Tokyo, to get mm -hmm. away from Japan and all the expectations, all the demands, all the pressure and just get become uh, just nobody knows him. He's, he's in incognito and and he could just train and do what he's doing and enjoy life and, and have fun. When I first met with him and his his uh, agents that were kind of push, putting this along, I, I told him that first and foremost, do this for Kosuke Kitajima and not for Japan. You, you've done that. You've done everything you can for Japan. Now you got to do it for you. And mm -hmm. the opportunities I've had to tell athletes of that level, especially Japanese, they come under a lot of pressure uh, from Japanese Federation, from the pop, uh, from the media, from just everybody with expectations that uh, just 
and he's he's seen that experience with me to go he wants japanese swimmers to have that experience so he's encouraged some of the japanese national teamers to move out of japan get away from it all go train somewhere else and we see Dayaseto now has come to the United mm. States to do some training. Um, um, Yui Oishi may do some uh, training. Uh, some of their really peak high-level swimmers. They've had Japanese swimmers come over time that, as, that I've coached, but they're trying to see, and I think Kosuke is trying to encourage some of the, the more, more higher-end to get out of, out of country and go train somewhere else and have that experience. It's very different. Um, uh, so I think that, that possibly ISL will do that. If, if ISL can, can fathom the, the financial constraints that they have currently and get through the next year or two. And I think that's the direction that most of the GMs want to do. Nice. How do I get, um, how do I get Kitajima on the podcast? Um, he's, he's somewhat reluctant cause he, he speaks, he understands English, but he doesn't like to speak English. He's not very confident, but I can right. give you his contact info. Do you think you'd do it through a translator or not? Oh, uh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, let's do it. Yeah I'd, love yeah, I'd love to at least talk to him. Even if it's for 30 minutes, we just just yeah. chat. I mean, I I don't think anyone's the, – the Japanese are kind of enclosed. Like, I like the Chinese a little bit. It's like they're, they're, there's a mystique. It's like we're not really in yeah. their world, you know, but they're um, obviously doing a lot of things right for many years. And he's – I mean, he's a legend, so I'd love yeah. to – Yeah talk to him somehow but uh cool yeah all right i'm up yeah, I, will, I will this. send you his, i'll send you his contact info he'd be he'd be great but yeah he's, awesome. he's he's got a couple of people that can serve as a very competent uh, translator oh good perfect awesome i love it hey man thanks this has been very cool very cool i mean i'm in irvine right now you're in irvine we're probably like 10 minutes from each other i don't know why we're not just i don't know why we're not just at the house where where in irvine are you i don't know don't ask me the specifics no. come on <laughs> Well, I enjoyed always enjoy talking with you, buddy. Yeah, mate, you too. All right, take care take and care. Uh, good luck with everything, and we'll catch Thanks. up again. Okay, see you, mate. I right, appreciate it. Take care. Bye. Bye. Event, heat, lane, name of swimmer, times and places. It's called Swim Nerd Live, and it allows the data and times from your actual scoreboard to be broadcast and viewed in real time on any smart TV, phone, or other device. There are so many things you can do with this software. A very simple and easy to use necessity for any team or facility that is live streaming their meets results. One click on any device and they're watching your swim meet live in real time. Go to swimpractice.com to learn more.